Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man with whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What do you suppose they were also afraid of? That is at the bottom of this dramatic and startling story in Luke 8. All of the witnesses and all of the townsfolks were afraid. Was it, what was it that did them in? Was it the sight of dead pigs floating in the water and starting to wash up to shore? Was it the sight of this unbelievably crazy man, now clothed and in his right mind? Maybe it was the idea that despite the other explanations people had tossed around over the years, oh, he's quirky, he's angry, he's just not adjusted, that it turned out there really had been a legion of demons in this man after all. What were they afraid of? The author of Luke and Acts tells us that one day Jesus got into a boat and said, let us go across to the other side of the lake. This seems rather odd, but mundane. It does not tell us why or for what reason Jesus wanted to cross the lake. It seems like a sudden impulse, although we, the reader, understand that this is never the case with Jesus. This was the trip on which the disciples encountered the windstorm that nearly cost all of them their lives. Remember, when Jesus calmed the storm and saved their lives, the disciples were shocked and wondered, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. The disciples still were unsure of exactly who Jesus was, even though they had given up their former lives to follow him. Ironically, when they get to shore, still shaken by the amazing boat trip they had and the wonderment of Jesus being able to calm the water, they meet someone, or rather some things, who knew exactly who Jesus was, called him Jesus, Son of the Most High God. So here's Jesus and the disciples on the other side of the lake. And as the disciples were no doubt calming their nerves after their brush with death, they meet the demoniac, this naked, wild man who falls at the feet of Jesus, screaming. The man is not asking for help. He is not asking for healing. He is asking Jesus not to torment him. This is a story of the unclean. The tombs were unclean, the pigs are unclean, and we are told that it was an unclean spirit. This unclean spirit knew who Jesus was, and rightly afraid. As soon as Jesus saw the man, he knew that the man was possessed, and without the man asking, ordered the spirit out. Luke's story of the Gerasene demoniac contains all the familiar elements of a miracle. There's a cry of misery. There's Jesus' healing response. There's restoration of the tormented to wholeness. And a crowd response. It also has common elements of an exorcism. The demon's recognition of the exorcist. 
Jesus in this case, and rebuke of the demon. However, it is different from other gospel stories in that Jesus hasn't ever encountered a legion of demons possessing one person, and the drama that unfolds with the demons being cast into the pigs is unequaled in other stories. The ancient people make no distinction between healings and exorcisms. So the encounter with the demoniac is one of numerous examples of the battle with evil powers that accompanies Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God. This exorcism of an evil power, also found in Matthew and Mark, locates the scene in the country of the Gerasenes, opposite Galilee, which makes it Gentile territory. Luke has anticipated the subsequent narratives of the Gentile mission in Acts. The tormented, miserable man is not one among many who cry for relief. He is the ultimate outcast. He not only is part of a culture and people who raise pigs, considered unclean by Jews, but he makes his home among the tombs, totally unacceptable to the Jewish community, and is homeless among his own people. What a place and story for a Jewish rabbi to enter. Luke has emphasized with this story that Jesus tends to the poor, takes care of the naked and possessed, and provides a way to wholeness of body and mind. This man has been released from the chains of possession and the deep darkness that clouded his mind. Like the woman at Simon's house, he is still at the feet of Jesus, but now dressed and in his right mind, when the crowd gathers. Having heard the stories about the amazing things taking place among the tombs and on the lakeshore. Who is this man who returns a crazed person to his right mind? Who is this man who commands demons? The author of Luke and Acts gives us a very clear statement at the end of the tale. When Jesus gets into the boat to return across the lake, the man asks to be with him. He wants to become a follower of Jesus, but Jesus tells the man to go home. And Jesus tells the man to declare how much God has done for you. Well, that is what the man does. His message is somewhat different. It says he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The man is telling us that Jesus is no less than God himself. Groucho Marx, whom some of you may remember, once famously observed that he would never want to be a part of a club that would accept him as a member. Think about it. Jesus truly embraces the unwanted and the unclean. A Roman centurion, a woman of questionable morals, and now a man possessed by many demons who lives among the tombs. Are these the people we want as neighbors? Clearly the people in the country of the Gerasenes did not want to be associated with a man so possessed they could not control him. They had tried to protect him and themselves by binding him with chains, but it did no good. Possessed, possessed, he was far stronger. Eventually the demon, we are told, had driven him away from all people and into the land of the dead. He roamed naked among the tombs, 
For his family, he was probably just that, dead. What was the community afraid of? Whatever it was, it was such an overwhelming, fearful feeling that they asked Jesus to leave. The spectacle had been shocking, and shocking things have a way of producing unsettled feelings, even fear sometimes. The loss of the pigs had been a blow to the local economy, perhaps, but in the end, the pigs could be replaced. The man himself was a sight to see, now that the wildness and untamed nature of him had been put aside. But whatever happened, and however it had happened, he was not a very scary spectacle just sitting there. In any event, no one from the town suggested that he hit the road. They'd put up with his rabid nature for years without banishing him, so he was surely no source of fear now. No, but they asked Jesus to leave. They collectively decided that he was the source of their overwhelming fear. Maybe if he left, their fright would depart with him. These people were afraid of Jesus, the one the demons properly called the Son of the Most High God. He couldn't stay there because his presence was undoing people, terrifying them. Can it be that the presence and power of God are a source of fright? Apparently. I can empathize with these townspeople. We believe that God is present with us on Sundays in the Eucharist as we pray. Some of us feel the Holy Presence more than others. Maybe some Sundays more than other Sundays. But what if we saw Jesus appear in our service in a true physical form and we knew without doubt that he was present and we could talk to him? Would we be a little frightened? I think I would have a certain anxiety about how we were doing, how sincere we seemed. Would we ask the right questions? Would we give the right answers? These Gerasene people were afraid. This man could know everything. Their lives could never go back to normal. A desire to not change, to not do what needs doing in order to make one's life better often underlies our religious practices. It's easier to stay the same, even if the same is not all that great. Then let someone put you through the ringer or confront you with this or that truth about your life or this culture or this world that you just as soon not know. For the Gerasene people, life with a demon-possessed crazy man in their midst was no picnic. He terrified neighborhoods, was a cause for fear, no doubt, for parents of young children, was a public nuisance. But as they say, better to the devil you know than. Consider there is no indication that this Gentile man later became Jewish, or for that matter, Christian. He wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus sends him back home with instructions, go and tell what God has done for you. Notice, too, that there are no conditions to be met to receive God's love. You don't have to be wealthy or poor. You don't have to be from one ethnic group or another. You don't have to have believed your whole life or come to faith only recently or have any faith at all. Jesus seeks out everyone 
even this unclean man, possessed by an unclean spirit, living in an unclean place. And just so, God loves all, male and female, young and old, gay, straight, transgendered, white, black, Asian, Latino, believers and non-believers, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, the list goes on. Go and tell God what God has done for you. Where are we willing to go? Whom are we willing to love? In the wake of one more violent crime of hate and terror, we need to remember that God is always among those in greatest pain and need and that we are sent to go and do likewise. This week, that means God was particularly present in Orlando. And so should we be, whether physically present through a vigil or other means of support, or in our own corporate and personal prayer. We have to guard against being fearful like the Gerasenes. We have to go and do what God asks of us, even if it means getting out of our comfort zone even if it means confronting demons from within and from without. Let's not be afraid, as the community of the Gerasenes was. Let's recall our baptismal vow. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? We renounce them.